welcome to the Hello Live podcast brought to you by the Hello Foundation. I'm your podcast host, Kelly Bodden, and I'm a speech language pathologist based in Portland, Oregon. You will receive 30 minutes of free CEUs for listening to this episode in its entirety. I'll give you instructions on how to document your participation at the end of the episode. I'll also tell you how to get in touch with any questions or comments you have for us. But for now, sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. This is Kimberly Wilkerson. I'm delighted to be here with you for this podcast in speaking to you about one of my favorite aspects of speech language pathology, which is serving in the life skill setting. And so we're going to talk today about some strategies that I think are beneficial when we're considering serving kids in the life skill setting. And just so we're on the same page, as I refer to that word of life skills, I'm talking about those self-contained classes in general education uh, with typically moderate to severely cognitive delayed or impaired students. So we're thinking about kids with cerebral palsy, maybe either non-verbal or very limited verbal kids with autism, Down syndrome, et cetera. But those kids that need substantial modification to the curriculum and consistent teacher and adult support throughout their school day. Uh, I love this population. I fell in love with this population. Actually, my first year out of school, I had a unique opportunity during my fellowship year where my entire caseload was kids in the life skill classes. So I had close to 80 students in kindergarten through 12th grade. They were in, I think, five or six different towns that covered three or four different school districts. So it was quite uh, interesting and challenging to try to manage all of that, but I learned a ton during that time. And since then, as I've worked uh, in the schools, I've, I've worked in other areas in speech pathology as well, but when I have worked in the schools, I think I've always had at least one or two life skill classes as part of my caseload. And again, I really enjoy those kids. One of the things that I found is that there are some distinct challenges when working with these classes. And so to navigate through these challenges, I, as I was thinking about this, I came across five different areas that I want to talk with you about today. Number one, what can or even should services look like and how do we share this with other team members that we're working uh, with both staff as well as parents, administration, etc. Number two, how collaborating with staff leads to increased effectiveness. Number three, where do we find resources, especially when we're the only go-to person. Number four, treatment considerations for these kids. And number five, I coin as when the fun really begins. And to know what that means, you actually have to stick with me (laughs) throughout the entire podcast, and then I'll explain it. But I promise you, it is fun. So let's look at the the first point and the question that came to my mind. What can and should services look like, and how do we share this with others, even the special ed teachers who are in charge of these life school classes? Obviously, an IEP is individual. And so I don't believe that there is a one-size-fits-all approach. However, when we are dealing with life skill kids and classes, there are several generalities that we can consider. And in working with as many kids as I have in this population, I have found that it's really important to make sure that part of that service model is consult with the teachers, with the classroom staff, certainly with parents and, and others, which we will get to momentarily 
but it's not the same as it should be perhaps with an articulation kid that we might have in the general ed classroom or a language kiddo. I always make sure that there is some type of consultive language even written into the IEP because I think that it is that important. What that does is it results in us as speech pathologists making sure that we are in that room observing those kids in their academic environment. And for the most part, I think it also um, leads to us doing treatment activities in the classroom which is great because that way the teacher and all of those paraprofessionals who work with these kids all day long know how to implement the strategies for communication and language that we can share with them while we're in the classroom and that we're also helping the kids with. Obviously, there are exceptions to that. Sometimes you do have an articulation student, maybe even a voice student. Um, There might be some language targets. I know in a class that I'm working in right now, there is a student who's quite a bit higher level And so he does have some social communication goals that we're working on, and we do that in the context of everyone. But he also has some higher language goals than the rest of the class. And so we work with him one-on-one. It's not in a huge group setting, but it's working to expand sentences. However, we do it in the classroom. So that way, again, paraprofessionals that work with him can see those strategies that we're using and implement those strategies throughout the day. And interestingly enough, too, I think it was a week ago or so as his teacher, because his teacher always comes and observes at least for a couple of minutes what we're doing in a corner of the room. Um, We were working on a specific task and she told him, hey, you did that for me, do a better job, essentially, maybe in nicer terms than that. But that was good because she's understanding what we're doing and where he's at academically. And we know now what he can and can't do because we're doing that consult and collaborative um, work in the classroom. I I came into this specific district that I'm working in this year, and I believe that all of the students in this classroom were were being pulled out to the speech room. And I I changed that because I think it's more effective to be in the classroom for, for at least the majority of goal targets that we're working on. And I know as I called parents to create that amendment to the IEP, the parents actually were quite thrilled. Um, that we were wanting to stay in the classroom. The teacher was thrilled because she felt it was really distracting to constantly have kids being pulled out because there's so much going on in these classrooms. Um, and for those of us who have been there, we, we know how challenging um, different things can be that are very different from other general ed classrooms. One of the things that being in that classroom um, allows us to do as well is being able to see what's going on from a curriculum standpoint which is super important, I think is important really for all aspects of speech pathology in this school, including general education, but even more so for what's happening in these life skill classes. One of the challenges that I've seen is that sometimes teachers expect you to bring them the curriculum (laughs) for what you're going to do with their students. And that's not necessarily the way that it should be. We're there to support that student's work in the classroom, whatever level um, they're at and whatever curriculum that teacher has. Uh, I actually wanted to share, because this challenge was was something that was significant some years ago when I was in a setting um, and I was working, I had the the fortunate opportunity of working with another speech therapist who was specifically the AAC specialist. And we actually developed together in working with several of these different classes that we had, a guideline so teachers would understand how speech pathologists and then also 
augmentative communication specialists, which is another speech path, support those specific classes. And so there are five points, and I'm just going to briefly read these to you because I think this gives a really good understanding and clarification of how speech therapists can support these kids in life skill settings. So number one for this, identifies appropriate developmental language concepts, for example, colors, shapes, directions, categories, sequencing verbs, and the vocabulary pertaining to the provided curriculum, and then consults with teacher and support staff on how to implement those concepts and vocabulary into the provided curriculum. Two, consults on material adaptation, which oftentimes we have to do to bring it to a level of understanding for our students. Number three, provides training to classroom staff on specific software applications and other language-based resources that support that curriculum. And I know at the time when I was doing this, one of the these specific districts that we were working with had, um, every classroom had IntelliTools in it, which I really liked. There have been lots of other technological advances since then. I don't use IntelliTools or I haven't seen it as much as I did, but at that time we were able to provide training so teachers really knew how to use that software program. Number four, identifies pragmatic communicative concepts and strategies, for example, joint attention, following directions, listening skills, pertaining to the provided curriculum and consults with teacher and support staff on implementation of those strategies. And the fifth one and final one provides increased individual therapy with students who have specific speech language disorders, example, articulation or phonology. That's evidenced by a 50 or communication disorder eligibility on their IEP. And again, that's when it, you know, we're looking at the individual piece for all of these kids too. There are times when it's appropriate perhaps to pull those kids out or to work with them very much one-on-one. Um, but we have to, we want to keep in mind how we can best support all of these kids within that context and within the classroom and um, provide communication to them all day long, because that's really what a focus of those classrooms are. They should be communicating, focusing on increasing communication all day long. And so we're there to support that. The second point that I wanted to talk about is collaborating with staff to increase effectiveness, which is, I think it's kind of a given, but again, within these uh, classrooms, there are a lot more members of a team that are at work here. I'm going to start this by giving an example of a student that I'm working with right now. This particular student is completely deaf, and he actually receives two hours of sign language training each day by the deaf and hard of hearing specialist in this district. The student also, he's not in this classroom because he's just deaf, but he also has significant cognitive delays. Um, so when I came on board to this district this year and talked with the teacher a little bit about what we wanted to do with the student and where we were going, it was really important for me to talk also, and the three of us had a conversation with that hard of hearing deaf specialist who knew the student certainly better than I did, as well as the teacher, and um, who knew how the student could communicate and what their level of, what the student's level of cognition was at. One of the goals that we decided to work on was pairing sign with pictures, uh, kind of looking long-term at, even though the student is learning more sign, and that is certainly one of his primary modes of communication, most people don't know sign. And so how can we increase maybe that language base, but also how can we provide ways for him to communicate when 
others around him might not know signs. So we want to give him visual or picture cues to be able to um, communicate with others. In collaborating with this particular uh, hard of hearing deaf specialist, she was working with pictures and the sign, the accompanying sign with them. And so that's great because that means I don't have to reinvent the wheel, nor should I. And those pictures, at least initially, are important to use because it provides consistency for that student. And we can expand from there eventually. But again, that collaboration with her and with the teacher and and what we're trying to to do for the student and how to increase that communication but keep things consistent was really and is really important. Other team members that we want to keep in mind, and not every district has these team members, but vision specialists. I know I've talked with vision specialists, so I know what students' expectations are um, in way of when I try to present them with certain activities. I know what they can see and what they can't and what colors perhaps are more meaningful to them than others. So we have the vision specialist, certainly occupational therapy and um, physical therapists, knowing the student's motoric abilities, especially if they are using any type of switch device. Uh, Occupational therapists and RNs for different feeding issues. And I know not every speech therapist is comfortable uh, consulting or trying to add input when it comes to feeding disorders. And I know Districts approach things differently. Typically, the RN is going to have a feeding protocol and knows, you know, a fair amount about um, swallowing and dysphagia and feeding disorders. Sometimes districts uh, refer to the OTs because they have some training. But in all of the districts, I've I've worked in multiple districts uh, in a couple of different states. And I know, fortunately, I do have a background in feeding disorders as well as dysphagia. And I really like that area of speech pathology. And so uh, being able to provide that input, I know has been really helpful. I've seen that the OT and the RN appreciate that if you can offer that. Because the reality is you as a speech therapist, um, you are in my mind more of a professional in that than those other, those other disciplines. You've had that training And certainly if you've worked in those areas, maybe more than just a rotation in in graduate school, you understand the nuances more than anyone else does. And it really can be beneficial when you have those kids, those students who do have feeding protocols and feeding issues in the schools. Of course, if you're lucky, (laughs) I don't see this everywhere I go, but I think it's wonderful when it happens. The AAC or AT specialist, assistive technology specialist, oftentimes this is a speech pathologist that has been designated to that district or that area specifically for AAC. And um, I know there have been times when that person has been available and it's wonderful and I love collaborating with them to help those kids. And then other times you're it. As a speech pathologist, those districts don't have that and you're it. And that's somewhat of a situation that I'm in this year. I feel fortunate because I've had lots of experience with these classes in the past and been around AAC specialists, but I also know that sometimes that adds another element of challenge when you're doing it all on your own. One of the most important people, I think, in collaborating in these classrooms are the teacher and the paraprofessionals that work with these students every single day. I always see that these um, adults, especially the support staff, they are the ones in the trenches. They know why a student is angry or fatigued or even indifferent the day that you walk into that classroom. They know what happened the moment before you walked in the room and the dynamics of the situation and maybe the entire classroom. 
they work with these kids every day and they're the ones that can see the subtle progressions of students as well as sometimes the declines that students make. And so I think they're critical to providing information that will help you modify your treatment plan for that day um, or even maybe expand upon a teaching moment when you walk in based upon what happened five minutes before you came into that classroom. So I, I know typically I always check in with those with the support staff as well as the teacher just to know what's going on so I I can approach what I'm going to do in hopefully a more effective way. Getting on to point number three, uh, what about resources? And of course, this is really important when you are kind of the lone wolf, <laughs> uh, whether it's in your district or um, maybe there's other speech paths, but there's not that that extra support that you're hoping there might be. And what's interesting is that when you walk into a speech room, typically you will see, you know, hundreds, perhaps, maybe not hundreds. I know in the district I'm in right now, one of the great things is that there's a lot of um, resources for materials. And so there are hundreds of materials in the speech room that I work in. But most of those are for articulation and language and maybe some social things. A lot fewer resources are to be found for life skills in a typical speech room or for functional communication, which makes sense because we serve a much higher percentage of articulation and language and fluency and social in the general ed population, uh, typically in schools. But I've always thought, man, it'd be, it'd be nicer if there were just more, more materials or more resources. And I found over the years that there is quite a bit online I just don't see them as much perhaps in a nice, neat little packet or a book that you can purchase. So what I want to do is just share with you some of the resources that I use frequently um, for these kids. And most of, again, I think all of these, as I look at my list, are online. So I'll share with you the name of the website and what I, what I find there, just a brief description. One of the places that I really enjoy and I, I encourage my teachers to go to is Boardmaker Share, which is part of Boardmaker Online. Obviously, with the different um, low-tech and high-tech AEC devices that we have in these rooms, as well as just visuals that we can put down next to a kid doing a simple academic task. doesn't even have to necessarily be um, a device. But Boardmaker has all of those great pictures um, that we can keep consistent and that we can share across different kids and across different activities in the classroom. There's a lot of uh, programs on this specific website or resources that other teachers or professionals have made that uh, you can download for yourself if you want to use them, or you can download that template and then fine-tune it to what you specifically need for your kids. Of course, you do need the Boardmaker program for this, for it to work, um, but if you have that, I think it's a great resource. Another website that I have used before and found a fair amount of resources on is speakingofspeech.com. There are some basic boards on this website, social stories, several. There, there's also language in our TIC um, therapy supplies and resources too, but there's a lot of functional communication, again, stories and, and various visuals, uh, some holiday themed, which I really like themed types of treatment activities. And so I, I like it for that. Another website that I use quite a bit is a blog spot uh, called Chapel Hill Snippets. So it's chapelhillsnippets.blogspot.com. Uh, one of the nice things about this specific blog spot is that the, the woman who runs it, who does it, 
has both board maker icons, but then she also puts it um, into PDF. So you can use uh, those resources um, if you need them really quick. If you don't, if you don't have a chance to get that into your board maker, then you can print that out and get into board maker later, but, but use those resources quickly. Again, she has a lot of holiday ideas and themed ideas, different stories that you can look at. Another blog spot that I think is helpful is called atclassroom.blogspot.com. This is primarily an assistive technology blog spot. It has a lot of information on resources, links to other sites, uh, definitions of why and how you should use certain technologies. So a lot of reviews. And certainly if you don't have an assistive tech person at your school, if you get to be that as well as a speech therapist, um, this is a good place to go just to learn more about the types of devices for kids and and how to use those in therapy. A recent uh, website that I was introduced to, which I have not done a lot of looking on, but I think it looks fabulous, is something that's called practicalaac.org, and I'll spell that for you. It's P-R-A-A-C-T-I-C-A-L-A-A-C.org. In the short amount of time I've been on this website, there's a lot of good treatment ideas for this specific population. So I look forward to, to using that uh, website a little bit more. One website that I have used in the past, I'm not using it as much this year, but I've used it in the past, is actually a website that is specifically for app reviews. And um, I love how it's organized. It's called bridgingapps.org. The nice thing about this website is that you can do a search based upon developmental age as well as your target areas, whether it's academics, whether it's basic things like joint attention, cause and effect. Um, I really like how they group all of these different apps together. And so you can go in there before you'd want to purchase something, see what the reviews say, as well as how appropriate it would be for what you're trying to look for. And then one of the final resources that I use frequently, really for almost every therapy goal that I have with all of my students, but specifically too for the life skills population is PDF staff on Pinterest. They have hundreds, literally hundreds and hundreds, maybe even I can say thousands now, thousands of different ideas. Um, and they're all nice and organized, grouped according to, to what you need. So that's another area or another resource that I've used quite a bit with these kids. Number four, <clears throat> treatment considerations. One of the things that I've realized in working with the life skills population is that small steps actually equal big steps for these kids. The measuring stick that we perhaps would use with an articulation student or expressive or receptive language student is not the same measuring stick that we need to be using with life skill kids. And that's okay. Um, small steps are actually big steps for these kids. And I found that oftentimes Maybe the bigger steps that we think we want to see, we do see, but it's over a longer period of time. Sometimes that might even be a few years, and that's absolutely okay. When I serve kids in this population, regardless of what their IEP goals may say, I, I try to keep two broader focuses, I guess, in mind. One is that in these classrooms, increasing communication opportunities and appropriate communication is huge for these kids. Giving them a chance to communicate is significant. Number two, social communication is huge. Usually because there are 
moderate to severe cognitive deficits with these students. Uh, there is significant differences in social communication. And so I think that piece is huge as well, because if we're looking long term at these kids, that's really important from an entire lifespan, not just, hey, they're in fifth grade, what should we do? So as I'm thinking about how to approach treatment with these kids, I uh, sometimes will use the entire group. I've been in situations before where not every single student in that classroom is technically receiving services from me. They don't have a goal or they're not receiving consult services uh, for whatever reason, but I still have them participate in the group. They love it. Usually the teacher loves it and it gives everyone an opportunity to participate socially with peers in their classroom. And that may include role-playing social skills, sharing personal information about um, themselves, interests, things they like to do, kind of a get to know you. Uh, As a therapist, that also may mean that you're leading group time, perhaps with some of the younger populations. So, as you're looking at the, the considerations for treatment, whole group, there might be times when whole group's the best. There might be times when a smaller group, certainly individuals, having the paraprofessional right by your side in what you're doing. And the great thing about these rooms is that there's flexibility. When you're in that room versus pulling those kids out, you have that flexibility to maneuver um, and go back and forth between whole groups and small groups and individuals according to what they need, where you're at in their goal progression. And so what they might need for that week or that day. Um, An example in the past, I remember working with a student who again was quite a bit higher, higher level functioning in that classroom, um, verbal, completely verbal and had an, an issue, not so much with articulation, but intelligibility because she would slur and talk really fast. And so we worked on rate of speech and it was appropriate to make sure that we did some things one-on-one. Sometimes I would, pull her from the classroom because we needed a quiet space to work on. But then we would do things maybe in a quiet corner of the classroom so she could see, uh, so the pairs could see strategies. The paraprofessionals would be able to see strategies that we were using with her. And then we included one or two peers so they could have a conversation and we could be seen if those strategies were being implemented and also provide that social piece for those students. Certainly, when we think of lifestyle classes, we think of everything being visual, and we know that that is necessary for these kids uh, to increase their communication, but also to increase their comprehension and understanding of what they are having communicated to them. I think it's important, too, and I actually think this is important for every kid and even every adult. I know it's important for myself in learning, is to have varied multi-sensory approaches. So, yes, we can give them those visuals, and certainly paired with the verbal But anytime that we can give them tactile experiences, um, maybe even something where they're they're smelling it, uh, and I know that that can't happen certainly every single um, treatment task that we do, but just increasing the depth of that base that we give them, of understanding the language that we're giving them and the experiences that we're giving them are really important. I know in the past and working with some teachers trying to, to help them understand why we're there and what we do, that we don't bring them curriculum, but that we um, support the curriculum in their classroom. I've been able to give lots of examples of what that could look like because sometimes, again, these classrooms, when you know what I'm talking about when you work in them. 
I'm trying to think of a mild way to say this. There are moments when it's a war zone, right? You walk in and because of the behaviors of some of the kids and just the basic functional um, day-to-day taking care of these kids, it can be a little bit crazy and nuts at times. And so teachers and the parents have, I think, a lot on their shoulders, a lot on their backs, and they're not always thinking about perhaps the most ideal way because guess what? They have to make sure that their student isn't running out of the hallway or that they can get the next student to the bathroom and that the student who just spit or hit his peer is being, that situation isn't being addressed. So I, I preface all of that because I've been able to walk into classrooms, um, usually, you know, after school <laughs> when, when those situations aren't going on and talk to teachers about how they can increase language just generally in their classroom. So I'm just going to give you examples um, when I say that. For, for example, I, I, I love themes. I love units. So maybe you have a rainforest unit. You're giving those kids um, lots of pictures, maybe on the wall. Maybe you take construction paper or some type of other art supplies and you have a corner where you have a tree and you have butterflies hanging. And so the students have done a craft exercise where they make the butterflies and the frogs. And then for math, they're counting the spots on the frogs or they are for science are doing some type of project where they're, they're learning about what we see in the rainforest or maybe the soil in the rainforest or something like that. And so that's one of the ways that I've seen really good collaboration in trying to, to increase language opportunities for these kids is to make their rooms become something else. And I think this is fun. And I think that it can happen at any age. Uh, You know, as I say this, certainly when we go into preschools and different things like that, sometimes those rooms are developed like that. But I think that um, those types of language experiences can happen at any grade level. It's what teachers and staff are willing to do and certainly time and um, availability of materials and resources is always an issue, but it's good maybe to, to help teachers think in that way if they haven't, how they can include all of their academic targets in a richer, more extensive language base. Which leads me to my fifth point and final point, when the fun really begins. <laughs> and I mean that. Because the structure of these classes is so different from general education, I think it offers a lot of flexibility. And as a therapist, I think that it gives you great flexibility on what you can do. To demonstrate that point, I'm going to give you two examples. <clears throat> Number one um, was done a few years ago with a couple of different schools that I worked with. A lot of the goals were about social language and making eye contact and getting along with peers. And so I believe this was during an Olympic year, but we decided to have an Olympic day. And in preparation for this, um, and I, so I kind of trained or, or talked through the, the paraprofessionals and the teacher about, I guess, my vision for this and how this would increase and give them opportunities for social communication. But teams were created. So teams in the classroom were created. They developed their own name. They developed their own team cheer. They even, I think, had different T-shirts made for their teams. And they would practice. When I would come here or come into the classroom, they would actually practice their cheers. They would practice how they would um support or cheer someone else on, like different things that they could say, for example, good job, keep going, things like that. I was able to collaborate with the gym teacher, and I'm thinking of one specific school, where they had an adaptive PE class, and he was thrilled to work with them on different events 
um, that they could then participate in on the day when it arrived. He also was great in setting up the field. We did this at the end of the year, closer to the end of the year when it was nice weather. So he was able to set up the field. We invited the administration from the school as well as parents, even other general ed classes to this. And several came. We had opening ceremonies where the students walked out in their teams with banners, with flags, with their shirts. They actually came out in front of their parents and, and others who were there, and they came together. They did their team cheers. Um, we had music, which I love music. <laughs> so that was one of the fun parts for me with, you know, the Rocky theme and Chariots of Fire the whole time that they're doing all of these events. But it was awesome to see them cheering each other on uh, in that format of social communication and just to have a lot of fun doing something that they typically don't do. There was also some general education classes that came out throughout the day that cheered them on and supported them, which was really fun too. So that's just one example, uh, I guess, of how how it can how fun it can be and just different things that you can think about. I I like the idea again of themes and of projects and trying to work on skills that lead to something else. So the second and final example I'll share with you uh, is something I did with multiple classes some years ago uh, during the springtime again, because they were focusing on a soil cycle and plant unit. <clears throat> and so to support that in their classroom, I brought in a lot of books. At that time, IntelliTools was being used quite a bit in those different classrooms. And so I uh, created and trained teachers and staff on how to use overlays that talked about weather and springtime and soil and plants and then worked with kids on that to see where they were at and being able to use those overlays. We even demonstrated and practiced um, planting with the right vocabulary terms with these kids. But then, there, again, for me, the really fun part and meaningful part came when we planned field trips that those specific districts were near a community food bank garden. And so each of those classes or most of the classes planned field trips to those gardens at the end of this unit where they could actually go plant the, the people, the coordinators at those gardens had were set up and ready to go where they had them plant different crops or plants. They were able to water, they were able to dig. And of course there was, you know, a, a slight tour that was done with them, which was awesome. And they had a, a really fun time doing those things. But then on top of that, we took those pictures, we took what they had learned and, and their different modalities, whether it was switch for those nonverbal kids or being able to talk with a few prompts, whatever it was. And then we did a presentation uh, a few weeks afterwards to, we invited the community, their parents, mostly it was parents that came, but we had this presentation where these kids got up on a stage. They introduced themselves and they each demonstrated what they had learned. They communicated that in whatever way they could. For example, some kids used IntelliTools at the time, those overlays to show the plant cycle. There was another student that I remember who actually on stage took a plant and, and potted it and watered it. And he followed visual, a, a visual strip to be able to do that in, in the correct order. And so that was really fun for these kids. Other kids that couldn't, the younger, some of the younger kids that didn't go to the community garden, they went to a local park and they were able to um, plant flowers and things to help beautify that park and then share that again with their parents in whatever way that they could at the end of the year. So when I say that that's where the fun really begins, 
I think it is because there's so much flexibility that you can do. The sky is the limit. Certainly, you look at the goals of these kids. You look at the resources of what you have available to you, collaboration with teachers. In doing all of those different classrooms, I know with the, the soil and the plant, there were some teachers that were totally on board. Others thought it was a good idea, maybe didn't have the, the resources or, or the desire to be as involved, but we were able to modify it. So it still needed those kids' needs in a way of communication, and it gave the teachers confidence that they could do as much as they felt that they wanted to, et cetera. Um, so again, the sky's the limit. I hope this has been helpful. I think these kids are great to work with. I think that you can always be thinking outside of the box and you can be as creative as possible and really give these kids enriching opportunities to not only communicate more, but also to contribute, to contribute outside in their community, to contribute to their school and to be something that is great. Thanks so much. Everyone have a great day. Congrats, you just earned 30 minutes of CEUs approved by the Oregon State Board of Examiners. Wasn't that easy? To document your participation, please visit www.thehellofoundationschools.com slash CEU. You can also find the blog post for this and all of our episodes at www.thehellofoundationschools.com. This is the best way to get in touch with our guests with your questions and comments. And if you want updates about upcoming shows and opportunities to participate, check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.